All right, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 2nd of September, 2017. And that makes this what number, Pete? This is Solder Smoke 199. And since I started with 161, depending how you count it, this is 30, 39 times we've been doing this. <laughs> 39 episodes yes. in the epoch of Giuliano. <laughs> 39 episodes of Julianism. Hey, you know, I got to tell you, though, uh, it's a little bit of a problem, Bill, because I have people that send me emails that says, well, in 178, about 30 minutes in, you said this. And later on in 192, you said something slightly different. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think we should refer all these inquiries to our our legal team at Dewey, Cheatham and Howe. Wow, wow. <laughs> who, who, who also, also cover the car talk. I went to the car talk guys get the same thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I said, did, so I wrote back. I said, did it conflict? No, but it was just slightly different. <laughs> well, you know what okay. they say. They say, you know, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds, you know. I mean, do, do you go back and <laughs> listen to these episodes? <laughs> no, thank God, no. I don't either. No, yeah. no. But there is a lot of that. And I, I know some of the, uh, a lot of other folks who are kind of in this kind of activity get, get, get subjected to the same kind of scrutiny. But anyway... The vast majority, the vast majority of our listeners, don't do this kind of stuff. So I, I we got a lot to lot to talk about. No real specific theme uh, this this time. The eclipse. Did you? Uh, wait, wait, a minute, wait a minute, Bill. Before you do that, I just want to make a comment, and I know you you feel the same. I, I sure hope those people down in Texas are are doing a lot better. I mean, uh, it was terrible. I was kind of glued to the television and. You know, just think about how people's lives have been uprooted, and and our our thoughts and prayers are with them, and, and you know, a speedy recovery. But you know, it's just not going to be that way. It's going to take a long, long time, and I'm sure <clears throat> a lot of all of our ham friends down there, uh, their stations may be underwater. So uh, give them a big shout out. And oh yeah, just definitely. Turn, turn quickly better. I got I I got to the point where I just couldn't watch it anymore. Watch those poor people walking around in the water. That was really really awful. And a, and a huge a huge uh, flood that's gotten very little attention here because of Harvey in South Asia. I mean, up to oh, yeah. up to fifty million people affected. They've already had twelve hundred deaths. Uh, just it's just 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 terrible. We're we're kind of under the same storm now. I mean, we're under a, 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 I think the same low pressure system that's the remnant of Harvey is over us now. And of course, it's nowhere. It's not severe here at all, but. Uh, we're getting a lot of rain. The temperature's low, too. So, yeah, yeah definitely uh, sympathy for everybody affected by the floods. Yeah. Brace yourself. Irma's headed towards you. Well, it's Irma. Irma is a bit of a, a concern, a special concern. I am a, a, a geographic, what, the, what they would call in the military, a geographic bachelor these days. Because Billy is out at the in the Shenandoah Valley. And uh, Elisa and Maria are in the Dominican Republic. Ooh. But Irma is uh, the the projections. They'll be they'll be off the island by the time the storm gets oh, there. Wow. But, it, but it does look like it's heading right there. But they'll be they'll be out of there uh, soon. So uh, not, yeah, we do have to watch. This is this is the season for watching that kind of stuff. But speaking of uh, uh, natural events, the eclipse. Did you get to see the eclipse? Yes, I did. 
Did you did you wear your special glasses or no, did you no, just I wing it? it on, I watched it on television. <laughs> you did, and was it was it good? Yeah, it was, and and I think that uh, I, I was reminded of a movie. I, I'm I watch these old movies. There there was a wonderful movie with Bing Crosby, uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's. Court. Oh, I loved that. I read it. Read it in high school. <laughs> he gets he gets transposed back in time. And and he knows all these modern things, and he knew an eclipse was going to occur. And he said, "I have this power." <laughs> was that was that was that Mark Twain? I, I don't know. I think I, I think the book. I think it was. I mean, yeah. I, I may be wrong, says, but watch. He said, "I can make the sun go away." <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stories. There's also the story of uh, I don't. You know, it might be apocryphal that Columbus was having trouble. I think on Jamaica, and he knew that a, not a solar eclipse, but a lunar eclipse was going to take place. So he told the the attacking uh, Jamaicans that the, he was going to set the sun, the moon on fire, and uh, I, I, I kind of find that one hard to believe. But anyway, I was at work, and we all stepped outside, and you know we weren't we weren't close to totality here. I mean, we were pretty far. It, but but the, here the percentage was going to be eighty one percent obscured. Um, but that just it just kind of cast kind of a weird light. But um, a lot of people at work had brought the uh, the solar glasses so we could look up, and a couple people brought telescopes. I made a pinhole camera and left it for Billy and Maria and, and Elisa, and they used the pinhole camera. It, it, a tiny little projection of the sun, but that was okay. The day before, I took out my uh, four-inch uh, Dobsonian telescope, and what you do when you're looking at the sun, of course, you, you project the thing onto a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper. And I could see, man, a, a trail of sunspots across the center of the sun. I put that up on the blog if anybody wants to take a look at it. But I, a lot of people discovered this independently. And Billy and Maria and Elisa discovered it, that during the eclipse, the we, you don't realize it on a, on a normal day, but all tiny little holes in the leaves and the trees are serving as tiny pinhole cameras. So they were standing there, and they stepped into the shade, and they looked down on the ground, and all over the ground were these little crescent, not crescent moon, but crescent sun projections. And I know people all over the country uh, made the same observation. You know, thousands of pictures like this have been placed up on the net. But uh, I, I don't think anybody really remembered that or predicted that, but it was pretty cool. Anyway, a, a major, major celestial event there. I, I, it made me think. I'm going to go to the next one. We're going to have one here. I think it's 2024. Yeah. I'm going to go. And, and I think Texas is the place to go because you have, you know, it's, it's dry down there most times. And so you have a better chance of actually seeing the thing. But totality looks pretty cool. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Speaking of Texas, we've been talking about Texas. My, um, my nephew, John Henry, great guy. And so he's 14 years old. He was up here briefly uh, a few weeks ago, and I was working, and I, I didn't even know they were coming in, but uh, my wife took them in and, and showed them, he, he and his mother, uh, showed, showed him and his mother the, uh, the ham shack. And she said to me, John Henry really seemed to like it. You know, most people are horrified. They come in here and they think, oh, wouldn't bother me. Holy, holy cow, it's, this is the, uh, you know, the, the, um, some crazy mad scientist here, you know, um, but um, like you know, it's sort of it's it's I guess it's it it, it evokes for a lot of people images. Of, I don't know the Unabomber, you know, <laughs> but um, 
John Henry, he seemed to like it, which is an indication of... The knack. It is. It's an indication of the knack. And so um, I, I told John Henry over dinner about Morse code, and he went back and on his own started teaching himself Morse. But then I decided, and he was doing, getting pretty good. You know, we were, we were, I was sending him Morse via text message. I guess this is the way you do it these days. I would get up in the morning and use a little code oscillator here, send him a message, record it in a video, send it to him by text, and then he would decode it. And great. But, you know, a kid at that point needs a receiver. And I started rummaging around here. I said, what am I going to send him? I got to send him something. You know, and I think you don't want to send him a really expensive, You're super not sophisticated. Send him the S38. <laughs> no, I thought about it. I thought about it, but I said that would be too cruel and potentially lethal. No, no, no. I actually had it in my hand, and I said, no, no, can't do it. No, no, not the S38. No, but I went into a box I, I have marked as kind of un, unbuilt kits, and there was a kit in there that Steve Silverman had sent to me three or four years ago, and it's called the Sawdust Regen. Sawdust. If you look it up, Sawdust Regen, you'll find out. You can still get them. They're like 25 bucks for the kit. And you know, you know I have this problem with Regens, Pete. I don't like them. You don't like them either. Mm -mm. You don't even like direct conversion receivers. Well. We'll we'll get to that later. We'll get that later. We'll get that later. But, you know, Regens, I I have a sad history notorious history with the regenerative receiver but this thing was there it's it's on a little tiny board the board is about two inches by two inches the schematic it's so simple it's got one jfet as the uh the regenerative detector front end demodulate everything right there one jfet and the regeneration regeneration is fixed so there's no regen control to mess with the designer has it so the, the amount of regeneration is fixed. And so the thing basically just percolates along as a low-level oscillator at the frequency that you're going to tune to. And it's got a little tune circuit ahead of it that is also the, the tune circuit of the oscillator. It's got a little tickler coil. It brings in the signal from the antenna. And then the I, I couldn't, I really, at first I didn't understand what was going on. It's got one little three-terminal device as the audio amplifiers, the AF amplifier. And I thought, when I put this thing together, I built the, I built the board kind of quick. And I said, wow, look at that. That's pretty cool. That's a, you know, a three-terminal audio IC chip. How come we've never used that before? You know, we're always using LM386s and 741-op amps. And somebody wrote to me and they said, hey, Bill, that's not, a, that's not really an audio amplifier. It's a voltage regulator chip. You you had heard about this before, and yep. you know Pete, you constantly amaze me. There there, but ladies and gentlemen, if I find something that I think is new in the area of radio, and I say, "Hey Pete, I found something new," you know, he very diplomatically says, "Great, Bill, but we knew about that five or six years ago." Okay, so he's, <laughs> Pete's, Pete's, Pete is on the. It's 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 intimidating to work with somebody who is as much on the vanguard as 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 Pete Giuliano, but. Pete knew about this. I hadn't heard about it. It's pretty cool. The audio amplifier works great. So anyway, I put this thing together. It took me about, it took me an hour or so to put the, put the parts on the board. And man, it fired right up. It runs off a 9-volt battery. I hook up a little, little, you know, it just needs like 10, 12 feet of antenna wire. And it's pulling in, it's pulling in Morse. I mean, it's, uh, it's on 40 meters. 
and uh, it 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 works. And I set, you could set it up so it, where, how much of the band it'll cover, and you could set the upper and lower limits a little bit. So I set it up for John Henry so it would pull in most of the CW band, but also a portion of the phone band. And I put it in a box. I sent it to him in Texas, and he got there pretty quick. Got there two three days. Wow. And I, I gave him some instructions. I put in some antenna wire, but I, I want to let him you know get it going, and. At first, he comes back and he says, "I don't hear anything but static," you know. And I said, "Well, you know, you got to fiddle with it. You got to, you know, you got to try to get it going. So you got to set it right. You got to set the audio gain. There's a little RF gain pot on it too, kind of up by the antenna. You got to play with that. But most important, I said, you know, you got to realize it depends on time of day. Now he was initially trying at about one o'clock in the afternoon, and forty, 40 can meter, forty meters, forty meters, <laughs> it can be bad. And I said. You know, I said, you wait. When the sun goes down, things are going to change. And I, I don't, I don't think he really believed me. You know, because that, because if you if you've grown up with with modern technology, the idea that your iPhone would work better at night than it works during the day it seems ridiculous, right? Okay, but but when you're when you're with a with a regen receiver on 40 meters, it's a you're in a whole different world. So I kind of it was kind of cool because I was I was coaching him, but via text messages. And I'd say, you know, make sure you got the audio gain set right. Then it was really, it was really neat because I, we, I, 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 you know, from a distance, I wanted to make sure that everything was working right. And he, he had his, his, um, you know, his, his iPhone ear plugs plugged in. I said, hey, reach over and unplug the antenna connection, and tell me if you hear a change in the static level. And so he said, okay. And the next message comes in. He goes. When I when I removed the the antenna connection, the static went way down. Da 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 da. I said, "Hey, that means that you are probably you're connected to the universe." And I said, and the other thing, I to encourage him, I said, "You know, realize that some of that noise you're hearing is coming from thunderstorms in Brazil, and a small portion of it is probably coming." from other parts of our galaxy okay so i mean that that, that noise is is interesting A- in and of itself noise, yeah. atmospheric noise but also galactic noise there's a yeah, part of yeah, part of the static true. is is a galactic background noise anyway uh so then and i was sitting there and i was waiting i was kind of nervous and then all of a sudden he says i get this message i hear a beep i hear another one holy cow i'm hearing morse so then he, he started hearing Morse, and he's actually got to the point where he can receive it five or seven words a minute. So he was he was able to decode it. Then I told him, I said, tune up, turn turn the tuning knob to the right, and you'll hear voices. He says, yeah, but they all sound distorted. Said, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, you and I know how to tune in an SSB signal, but if you've never done it before. So I tried to talk him through that, and it was like trial and error, like, no, it's not working. And then I said, look, you just got to try to – it's, tr- it's hard sneak to explain. Sneak up on it. Sneak, sneak up, up on it. it and try to go to the middle. I said, try yeah, to go to the yeah. middle, and you'll reach a point where suddenly it sounds human. So there's this pause. And then he comes back, holy cow, it's so clear. It's so clear. And, I mean, I, th- I think it was a great way to get started in, in radio, you know. And so he, I, I'm now kind of rummaging around for – the next generation receiver that I'm going to send down to John Henry. I think it's going to, I think we're going, the next step is direct conversion, Pete, direct conversion. I got some ideas, but anyway, the sawdust regen and the, it, it's a, it's a nice little kit. If you're looking for a stocking stuffer gift or, 
or a little receiver to get somebody started. I think it's a, it's a great way to do it. It runs off a 9-volt battery and a real simple, uh, elegant design, I thought. So check it out, Sawdust Regens. How, how do they handle um, hand capacity and that sort of stuff? It, you know, it's all on the PC board. It's all nailed down. And, you know, there's a little bit. You can notice a little bit of it, but very little. It's it's really stable. It's it's a nice nice design. I mean, it must there must be a max of, you know, 20, 25 parts on the board. But, um, I mean, the, the trickiest part is winding the toroid for, you know, the for that for the JFET. And so you get the phasing right. You got to get the, <laughs> yeah, you got to get the phasing right. And I, I did it kind of quick. I did it wrong the first time. I had to take it off and switch a couple things around, but then I got it going. But that's the only tough part to it. But, I mean, if you're looking for a little simple receiver, and I think it's great to start newcomers off simple because it gives them an appreciation of, you know, pulling in the signal. And, you know, then he would say to me, he goes, yeah, but, you know, I can hear several CW signals at the same time. And I said, yeah, because you're dealing with a very, you know, wide, unselective, unsophisticated, simple receiver. And that's what the name of the game is. That is, as you move move ahead in terms of technical sophistication, you're going to narrow the pass band and, you know, do all kinds of things to make it easier to copy those signals. But for now, wow, what a great way to get started, you know, with a, with a regen. I bet you there are very few hams these days who are starting out with regens, you know. But that was the way well, it was. That was the way it was in, sure. the, in the 20s and 30s. Matter of fact, uh, night. Uh, the night kits, uh, which were later Allied Radio, had the two, had the uh, night kit space spanner and the ocean hopper, which were yeah, both, yeah. which which were both regens. Now, what he needs to figure out is like what I figured out with my night kit space spanner. I figured out how to turn that into a transmitter. I figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, was that your first receiver? What was your first uh, receiver? Well, let's see. I got that as a. Uh, graduation present from ninth grade but that wasn't the first receiver i had that was a that was a kit present for my okay. folks what was your first what was your first uh ham crystal or shortwave you started set. with crystal set yeah, crystal yeah. Set. my dad built a crystal set for me and then you All know right. kind of progressed from there yeah well that, that's that's even better yeah i mean and, and I, I guess there's some kids who get started playing around with a crystal set I, crystal a lot you know set. <laughs> crystal with, set with what what do you crystal mean? set what's that yeah i know i know but you know, I think your success these days with a crystal set depends, in large part, where you are. Like with me here in Northern Virginia, I mean, I have a tough time making devices not be crystal sets. My SWR meters are crystal sets. I mean, if I hook up a crystal, yeah. the SWR meter to a, a wire antenna, it, it's I can see the modulation on the SWR meter because it's a very RF intense environment. But in other places, uh, John Henry's kind of he's kind of out there in Texas, and he might not have any any broadcast oh, stations nearby. Oh, oh, wait a minute! There's there's one down in Del Rio that the transmitter oh. is from Mexico. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know, two feet of wire, you ought to be able to hear that. That was that was, that was Wolfman Jack's transmitter, yeah, I yeah, think. XR, the right reverend. Yeah, he used to talk yeah. about the. The Right Reverend Dr. Billy Soul Harkis in the First <laughs> Church of the Gooey Death and Discount House of Worship, yeah. broadcasting from Del Rio, Texas. Yeah. The golden buckle on the Bible. It's all coming back to me, Pete. It's all coming back. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to take a look at the map and see if John Henry's got some uh, broadcast stations nearby. But anyway, he's a he's a great he's a great kid, and I think he's going to be on his way to getting his uh, his novice license. And so I think we have a new a new ham in the uh, in the brotherhood. 
Hey, speak. I got some other things to say about the Brotherhood, but you got anything, anything you knew you want to inject at this point? And what are you working on? Uh, well, I, I'm working on a, I'm working on the Simple Seaver Plus. That's that's up on the block, and it's oh. a direct conversion receiver. You start with that first. All right, and 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 then we want people to actually do that, right? Yeah, yeah. People go through the go through it. The direct conversion receiver. Uh, I'm working on one too. You know, Bob N7SUR got us going on this, right? Yeah, I think he, he's yeah. right. You know, last winter our campaign was was mostly focused on the Michigan Mighty Might. We did a lot of Michigan Mighty Mights. And a lot of guys got experience JOO, the Joy of Oscillation. But I think this this winter it, it's coming out that our, our theme should be the Joy of Reception. Actually yeah. receiving signals with a receiver that you made yourself. And I, I, you know, I, I, I talked a lot about my, uh, my tale of woe when I was 16 years old trying to build a, a direct conversion receiver and failing, but I built it 38 years later, the Herring Aid 5. But I, I agree with Bob, and I'm glad that you're on board with this too, that a simple direct conversion receiver is a great way for, uh, relatively new home brewers to break into the ranks of receiver builders. I think yeah. it's cool. So tell yeah. us more about the Simple Seaver. What's, what's it going to look like? Well, um, this kind of follows on to the project I started a couple of years ago, but uh, because my wife took ill, I, n- I never finished it. Uh, I, it. Initially, it started with the uh, direct conversion receiver, then went to Super Hat, and then the idea was going to be a transceiver. And I never got to the transceiver part because, uh, her, you know, her illness, I just had to stop working on it. So uh, up on the blog, uh, and, and I should mention that we've got, a lot of help from around the world uh, to make this easier, uh, and that includes Bob N7SUR, Greg down in VK land, and Dwayne KV4QB. Um, the various circuits are, are up on the blog, and and they've created boards using different technologies. Uh, Wayne has a, a boards available that he has a Dropbox so that you could do this with toner transfer. Um, Greg has provided uh, CAD boards. Those oh who, man! Yeah, those who want to cool. go KI CAD, uh, so you can get you know take the the artwork and go to a board house and say build me one. And uh, Bob has done some stuff uh, with uh, various pad layouts. As a matter of fact, this morning uh, Dwayne sent to me um, the toner transfer board that's got the product detector and audio amplifier all in one board. So. It'll make it really simple because then all you have to do is add the RF amplifier and bandpass filter, and you essentially have the direct conversion receiver. Ah, there are about three or four videos on the blog, and you can listen to yourself. And I mean, it really sounds good. I, I, I mean, it really sounds good. And if you want a low part count, low cost, I mean, I have uh, something like six active devices, and uh, total cost of the six active devices is less than three bucks. There you uh, it's, 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 no, it's, it's a beautiful way to do it. I mean, and, and I think a lot of folks have, you know, Wes was the one who pioneered this. He wrote the, mm-hmm. an article in 1968. It's called, I think, the direct conversion receiver and neglected technique. Neglected no more. I mean, a lot of people are doing it. I, I have, I have in the solder smoke book, the little excerpt of, of Farhan building a direct conversion receiver to help his niece with one of her school projects. And, you know, he, he, he recounts in the story about how one of his uncles walks in and says, why are you building that, you know, that kind of simple thing? 
And, you know, his response was, because this is what we do. We have opposable thumbs. We use tools. We build things. It, well, the other side of that is the elements that you have in, in the, the project I have up in the blog, which is the RF amplifier, the bandpass filter, the product detector, they all be they all be transfer over into the sideband transceiver. So, right. so I mean, what you build, you don't throw away. No, what no, you no. Build what you build in the audio amplifier is is all stuff you're going to use in in the uh, transceiver project. By the way, I wanted to mention about uh, Walt uh, KF5WH. Uh, he's teaching a class at uh, in Texas uh, in a in a maker space. You know, one of these things where yeah, they get yeah, together. He, yeah, yeah, really cool. And he started out with the Michigan Mighty Might <laughs> for the class. I saw that, he yeah. Said, he says, now we're going to need a receiver. So he's picking up the simple receiver. And uh, on my blog, there's some pictures. And I will tell you, he's got a 3D printer. So he made the cases uh, with the 3D printer. And they're cool blue, just like the shirt I got on today. I got the I got the Giuliano cool blue shirt on. So, I mean... Here he, and he built the boards, you know, using the me pads, so so that you can do it pretty simply. There's and good mojo there. I mean, that's it. it that's you know, yeah. Maine, from Maine, you know, Rex yeah. is Rex's pads. Yeah. So so it's it's nice to see that. Uh, and then that was another reason why I post so many videos, is then the people in the makerspace can listen. Say your your radio can do this, and and I was. Uh, I, I got to be honest. I was pretty impressed uh, with how it sounded for not a lot of components. You know, and, that's, go ahead. And up on the blog is okay. Is a matching two watt transmitter. So so now, if you build the simple receiver, the direct conversion receiver, you built the transmitter. While you're working on building the sideband portion of it, you can still be on the air. So you can right, have with, with double sideband. No, this is CW. Oh, CW. CW. Get you started on the CW. So, right. so there you are. Because I got I got to give some background information here. Pete is resisting double sideband. He, yes. He, he is. He's, you know, and, and he and I have, you know, thank God we have these differences or we'd have very little to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, see, I, I, I really like the idea. I, I like the direct conversion receiver all by itself. But an added benefit of it is that it can be very easily converted into a direct conversion receiver double sideband transmitter, right? And this is the way I broke into phone. Pete is much better uh, an engineer and technician than I will ever be. So he just skipped right into homebrew <laughs> yeah, sideband. Right. He just boom right in yeah, there, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. I needed I needed many, many kind of halfway houses to get me there. And Doug Dumas in his article about double sideband was the one who got me going on phone. So to each his own, and and I'm I'm Pete. I'm just delighted that you're doing the DC receiver thing because that that is really cool. And I agree with you; they sound terrific. And you know, various authors have discussed how they sound, and and almost everybody at one point says, and it's a strange thing; it's hard to put into words, but you it sounds like you're very close to the ether. You're very close to the radio waves. There's not a lot of circuitry between you. And the signal, it's got a very kind of natural sound. Also, they're wider. There's no filtering in there. So it's it's very broad. So it's sort of hi-fi in that sense. But um, I, I agree. I like it. 
Well, there's this, another piece of this. You were talking about super regions a little earlier. They, those are very extremely sensitive because yeah. they're on near, near the point of oscillation. They're a highly sensitive receiver. But that's that was the question I asked you about hand capacity and, you know, you put your hand around there and it shifts frequency. Direct conversion receiver, I, I'm surprised at the sensitivity. I mean, I, I was listening on, at night on 40 meters. I was hearing stations across the United States. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. This is not just CW, but this is phone stations. Yeah. And and a, as you say, it's a little broad because you're hearing both sidebands, but still in all, if you want a receiver just to listen around. And like, for instance, your, your nephew there, John Henry, uh, you know, a direct conversion receiver would be a next step up from that. And there you could, on 40 meters you could hear all over the United States with not a very, you know, exhaustive antenna system. So it has, you know, some really nice uh, desirable features from that standpoint. You know, the other thing that happens is with the DC receiver, and I, I discovered this much later, but when you, and I'm not recommending this because it's a, it's a much more complicated project, but when you build a phasing receiver, Really, what you're building is two direct conversion receivers, and yeah. then you're playing with the phasing to knock down one side of zero beat. All right. So the DC receivers, the problem is that you're receiving on both sides, right? So you're getting double the sound, which really doesn't turn out to be a problem. People think it's a huge problem, but it's not, right? The computer between your ears. Right, especially with <laughs> CW. And yeah. on, on, on sideband, I mean, you'll find very often that there, there just happens to be nobody else on the other side of the frequency. And let me explain. Suppose you're tuned to 7.2, right? And you're looking at lower sideband signals. So if you tune a lower sideband signal at 7.2, and you and the, the other guy has his spectrum down there between 7.197 and 7.2, you'll hear it as a normal lower sideband signal. But if somebody comes up and just puts a signal on 7.201, right, which would normally not, not be a problem, right, or, or, or higher, say 7.203, right, 7.203 on a sideband rig would not be a problem. You wouldn't hear him. But because you're on a double sideband rig, you're going to hear him, right? But in most cases, when you're playing around with phone, it just happens that there isn't somebody there. So you just receive it normally, right? So anyway, I, I, D, DSB, I mean, uh, the, uh, the direct conversion, great. But what I was going to say about the, the phasing rig is when you do build a phasing rig, uh, the, the effect, the, the kind of the pleasing sound, the being close to the ether, the effect is the same. It sounds, it sounds it's just like you're listening to a, a regular DS, uh, double, direct conversion receiver. But you're not going to get the the other the other side of the of of, of zero beat, which is is an advantage advantage. But uh, but great. I mean, this is going to be this will be a fantastic project. Winter is is coming, and so I hope a lot of people get out there this year and build uh, direct conversion receivers. I will let you know a little bit about the direction I'm going with my project. But I'm but I'm going to do some experimentation here this weekend. And I'll have more to report. But you know, let let let's everybody listen. Let's play Karnak the, the Magnificent. You know, when Johnny Carson used to sit on the porch and he used to hold the envelope up and, and he would ask the answer to the question and then the audience had to, to, to discover or come up with the question, right? So I'm playing Karnak. I've got my funny hat on. I'm holding the envelope up and the answer is SI5351. And what is the question? The question is, what oscillator is Pete 
Giuliano using in his direct <laughs> conversion receiver. <laughs> is Karnak right? No. No, you're not. What are you using? What's going to be wrestling? Analog, it's, it's an analog VFO. I am blown away. I... I you look in there, and that's just to show you that I know how to build stable I, I know, analog I, VFOs. I knew you did. I knew you knew, but I thought you had just rejected it as a matter of ideology. Well, there was a there was a reason for that. And uh, first of um, that particular analog VFO can be tuned be from seven megahertz down to five. So there was a method to my madness: is that uh, you could set it up for seven for the direct conversion receiver, put it down to five when it goes to, to the sideband version because the IF is at 12. Yeah, cool. I'll tell you something else you could do. You you, you could get 60 meters direct conversion there, six zero yeah, meters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you could do some shortwave listening too, which yeah. is not too cool with the direct conversion receiver because you got to get it zero yeah. BT null at the carrier, but a lot of potential there. One of the things that was really interesting to see, and uh, you'll see that in the two videos, uh, in the first setup, I didn't have the bandpass filter in there, and you were getting shortwave, you were talking about crystal sets, <laughs> you were getting AM detection, because it was just an RF amplifier being dumped into the product detector without any kind of, you know, yeah. bandwidth limiting. But boy, once you put that bandpass filter, that all disappeared. So, uh, you know, that, that is something that you, you learn also. You can see the, the, uh, the effects of circuit elements. The other thing that's interesting is the RF amplifier stage, and I try to demonstrate this in the latest uh, video, I got a gain control in there by controlling the gate voltage on gate two. You can right. actually, you can actually right. see how that works. So that, that ends the – that lends the capability of automatic gain control. And the other thing is the template – that I'm using for uh, using two J310s of dual gate MOSFET. The same basic template applies for the product detector, RF amplifier, quite a few of the stages. You may change a few of the components, but the basic layout <clears throat> and the way in which the thing is built makes it really nice because you can have a common template and just you know just replicate that for all stages in, in the uh, the project. So I mean, we try to pay attention to. Everything doesn't, you know, throw away the design and start all over again. One basic template design lets you build all the circuit elements. They're beautiful. You know, you mentioned the bandpass filters. It made me think of something that I discovered here. When I was building the little regen, um, you know, and it, you get, you really have to be conscious of the, the RF environment that you're working in. And I know that I'm in a very intense RF environment here. I have a powerful AM broadcast station one mile in one direction. I have a very powerful FM broadcast station one mile in the other direction. And it affects a lot of things here in the shack. So when I built this uh, this receiver, you know, I, I got it working with a little short antenna. There was no problem. But then I was trying to test out the 20-foot the, the antenna, just a 20-foot piece of wire that I would set up for, for John Henry. And I took it out in the yard. And, you know, the receiver wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. And, you know, it, it just took me a little bit to figure it out. And I, I happened to stumble across something in the, in the regen literature. With a, with a regen like that, you know, if you've got powerful AM broadcast station around, the RF energy coming in is enough to shut down the oscillation of the regen Overload. detector. Yeah, right? It'll just shut the whole thing down. Yeah. And so I had laying around because I've had to use them so many times. I have a little, um, kind of uh, uh, high, uh, um, it's a it's a high pass filter set to knock knock down the broadcast band right 
the AM broadcast band, which is what caused me most of the trouble. And I just put that between the receiver and the antenna, and it works like a charm. So you, you do got to keep it. Those, those bandpass filters at the front are real important, especially if you've got broadcast receivers around. But Pete, I'm going to hint at what's going on with mine. Now, I was hoping that that, that, that you were going to go with the SI-5351. Oh, oh, I will. It's just Eventually. Right okay. Yeah. No, that, that's, a good, that's a good way to do it. I am exploring intensely the fascinating world of ceramic resonators. I got, I got a whole bunch of them here, Pete. I got all kinds of different frequencies. And that's going to be the basis you and of... Kang, you and Kang, right? KPS Kang. Kang. <laughs> yeah. He's... He's the man, I'm telling you. And so he's got me thinking about this. And I've discovered that there are a lot of sources for a lot of different uh, uh, ceramic resonators out there. I'll tell more about this. The experimentation is going to take place this weekend because, I'm, like I said, I'm left to my own devices here. And so i got to keep myself busy. And uh, I'm going to get out the soldering iron and experiment with the uh, ceramic resonators. But, but by the I, way, so, something may be coming forth from our friend Tim Walford. Ah, so it might be in the hot iron, which is going to get released here in the next day or so. Are you the author? No, no, no not me, no. Tim. Tim, is it ceramic resonator? I, I'm not sure, but he's coming up with a, a wide range uh, LO. All right, all right. Well, you know, there are all kinds of implications here too. Ceramic resonators. There'll be a lot of applications. Yeah. This could free us of the tyranny of the SI fifty three fifty one. And it's lines of code and I2C. Getting back to basics. But you know the problem. You know, you know the problem. <laughs> you, Bill. You're gonna tell me. You're gonna tell me. Uh, well, it is. The problem is uh, dial calibration. I mean, it's you. You can you know put some tick marks on a on a circular dial, but I, you know we're just so used to say put it on seventy thirty. Now. I figured out how to do that so you can know exactly. You can turn on your computer, go to the reverse beacon network. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of kludgy. <laughs> you call CQ and it'll tell you the frequency. There if, you go. If, if you guys were interested in what the word kludge means, that Pete, Pete just described kludgy. I was going to suggest, you know what, because I, here, look, here's what. If, if you feel bad about the, 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 the frequency readout, you know, San Jian, those folks in China, right. they got something for you. For 12 bucks, they send you a little six-digit or eight-digit frequency readout. But, but you're having to, you, yeah, but you're having to aid it with some sort of adjunct or ancillary type of display. I mean, it's yeah, I know, it's not... Well, you know, for that reason, I, I, I built a little display for my beloved seven meter, 17 meter VXO transceiver, and I built the, the, the frequency readout in a separate box. It's like a sidecar, right? Because I, if I put it in there, I'd feel bad that it wasn't, you know. Pure. It wasn't pure. I am a radical fundamentalist home brewer, <laughs> Pete. It is. It's true. All right. Hey, so ceramic resonators. The network tells you every time. The, the what? I, I even tested it. I have a little trimmer. Yeah. So what I do is I tweak the trimmer, call CQ, and it'll tell me, yeah, okay, I know how much it moves. Pete, stand by. And our listeners, stand by. I am about to change things in ham radio. All right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something now. This is, this is like thinking outside of the box. Outside of Steve Jobs' box. Ooh. I'm going to reach over to the bench. 
I'm going to show you the new enclosure that I'm going to be using for my direct conversion receiver. Oh Look my at that god. Thing. Oh my god. Look at that thing. Is that beautiful? Yeah, yeah it is. I am sure you guys can't see it because this is a podcast, but what I'm holding is the box for the iPhone 6S Plus that my daughter recently received. You know, Apple is famous, really Steve Jobs his 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 big claim to fame was the enclosure. The the form, you know, the curved lines of the iPhone. I think I think that's a bit overdone. It's the box, you know. But um I I found that that attention to detail extends to the box that the phones come in. Don't ever throw these things away, ladies and gentlemen, because they're super strong. They're super. They're not metallic, but they're perfect for a little project like this. Now we recently had to upgrade phones here at the Solder Smoke headquarters, so I've got three of these things sitting around. One for a smaller iPhone 6 regular, which is what I ended up with. But it's perfect. They're very rigid. They're very strong. You could put some, you know, some some aluminum foil inside if you wanted to shield it. But they're cool looking. And I, what do you think? I think that's a pretty cool enclosure for a little, little yeah, receiver. Yeah. Actually, if I were to describe it, it looks like a brick. Yeah. It, it's, it's exactly, it's the size of a brick, a small brick. A little, a little sh- short on the length, but looks like a brick. But really strong. I yeah. mean, and, now, is that, and, is that and completely like rigid. It's, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's kind of a cardboard plastic. I, I, I think, I can't tell. But when they go together, you open it up, right? Look, I'm showing them. They give you this little book and stuff. But there's like a little shelf in there. You can put oh, stuff yeah. on the shelf like that. You can put something down there. Oh, like that. yeah. I'm telling you. A new day has dawned. Pretty soon you're going to see all kinds of radios in iPhone boxes. <laughs> Just kidding. This is this is cool. the next step on up from the cookie tin. That's it. Or the breadboard. Yeah. You know, you know iPhone Plus. All right. So that's gonna that's that's what I'm going to be using there. Um, what else? Oh. A couple other things in terms of new technology. I put some of this stuff up on the blog, but I, I was really blown away by the guy who had the 3D display on the OLED screen. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Oh, you, you got to take a look. This this is really cool. Little OLED display that a lot of us have been playing with. And somebody figured out, you know, all, I, I'm really pleased if I can get it to say 7127 kilohertz. That's it. But this guy figured out how to dis- make it appear 3D. So he's got figures floating around doing like, like pirouettes and stuff, 3D figures in there. Pete, I thought you'd be, you'd, you'd, you, you should get into this because <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there I know you're all about displays, you know, and, and you know, you might not realize this, but you are stuck in a 2D world, my friend. Yeah. And, and things have moved on. We're 3D now. So I hope that we're soon going to see. An S meter in 3D or something. No, from, he, he's using a standard, or is it a special one? The standard OLED. Standard OLED. You got to go take a look. See the solder smoke blog; it's got it up there, and he talks about how he does it. So you'd have to look at like an isometric projection that would go out to a point that say put a series of dots here to make like that. So it's 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 pretty yeah, cool. Can, it it looks you can see it. He's got this figure spinning around there, and it looks 3D on a tiny little you know simple OLED display. So, you know, you guys, I mean, you got to get cracking here. Come on, these, you know, it's, things are moving on. You don't, <laughs> yeah. don't want to be left behind here. Um, let's see what else we got going on here. 
Uh, OLED, ceramic resonators. Shameless, oh. com shameless Commerce Division, before you move on. You're right. It's a Shameless Commerce Division time. I guess what we want people to do is to buy their stuff through Amazon. You know, on the link on the Solder Smoke page. You go up there, whatever you're going to buy, just start your search up there. It's in the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog. That's soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Whatever you're searching for, a new lawnmower, a Ferrari, Lamborghini, something like that. McLaren. McLaren would be good. Yeah, that would be good. 5% for Solder Smoke headquarters. Hey, can you buy, All the money can you comes out of Bezos. Bezos, can you buy Bezos. groceries now? You can buy groceries. You can buy whole food, whole yeah. food stuff. Whole yeah, food. That, yeah, that would yeah. be interesting. That's right, yeah. And, you know, we got to make our money before the, um, you holidays, know. Holidays, holidays. Well, the artificial intelligence apocalypse is coming. So, you know, I, I imagine they're not going to send us money after they take over. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's thank you for reminding me. Hey, but you had mentioned before the, the, the brotherhood engaged in, in, the, in the Simple Seaver project. And I noticed that there is an amazing amount of international brotherhood of electronic wizards activity around the BitX40 module that Farhan has launched upon the world. You know, I joked about the box, but the guy who really changes ham radio is Farhan. I mean, it's amazing. I, I'm running into BitXs on a regular basis on the normal bands, not like on BitX Activity Night. Just <coughs> regularly I'm running into BitXs. And if and, and I subscribe to the BitX20.io group. Um, Hans Summers set it up and runs it. But even though it says BitX20 IO, it's all mostly about the BitX40 module now. And if you watch that thing, I'm really struck by how much international cooperation and brotherhood's going on. For one, for example, there's a couple of young guys in Cuba who are real software wizards, and they're churning out modifications to the Raduino code and doing all kinds of things to make it better and add features. Then they're also collaborating with another fella in Montenegro. They're coming up with new boards. They're, all, they're also working on the new version of, of Farhan's new new rig, the Micro Bidex. So you got a situation where the Micro Bidex is designed by Farhan in India. It gets picked up by radio amateurs in Cuba who come up with a circuit board design and then pass it on to a fellow in Montenegro who further refines the, the design and comes up with the board. And then I imagine they're going to ship it off to China for reproduction. So there's that that is really pretty cool. I, I had an example myself. We, um, there was a, there's a guy, JA9MAT in Japan, who yeah. was fooling around with this. And he said that he was having trouble with one of his rigs because of noise from the display. And guys were writing in with all kinds of suggestions about how to knock down the noise. I think it might have been from an OLED display. It might have been from a 16 by 2 display. But there was some noise there, and it was it was bothering him. And so I said, "Hey, look, you know, how about the active filter circuit? You know, the the one transistor, one cap, one resistor. And you put that on the line going to the AF amplifiers." It was a very satisfying moment because I just sat here. I sent off a short email. I come back later in the day. He said, "I put it in there, and the noise disappeared." Boom. There you go. By the way, that. JA9MAT is a big time contributor to Sprat. Yeah, that's Heidi. Is, Heidi, uh, he is. Yeah. No, no, I know. And so I was, I was, I was really pleased because he's a he's a genuine wizard. Yeah. But that circuit came from you know from Rick Campbell and Roy Llewellyn, and they used it in a lot of their designs. Um, you know, and uh, and um, so it's really good stuff. What were you gonna say? 
By the way, I am surprised, not surprised, but I guess uh, maybe you know about this. There's a huge development going on in the Dominican Republic for SDR radios. And there's a whole slew of SDR radio boards, QRP. Did, really? Were you, were you aware of that? No. Oh, yeah. So who's doing it? One guy or is it a bunch of guys? A bunch of guys. As a matter of fact, if you go to eBay and type in uh, SDR kits, mm -hmm. up pops the Dominican Republic. <laughs> well, they might they, they might be doing like the circuit board assembly down there. I hope they are because that would be that would be they good are. good good, good, a, good business for it, them. It's 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 a whole kit. I mean, oh, it's, it's like two hundred bucks, but it's a it's a powerful kit. So wow. you might, you might, my, my, I thought. Maybe you know. <laughs> Maybe you know I'm who at, these guys I'll, no, I'll, have to, I'll have to check it out. That, yeah. That's really interesting. Great. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Well, you know, they used to make a lot of components in the Dominican Republic. There was a huge electronics industry down there. Yep. So now maybe they transitioned from the components to, to, to assembly. Yeah. yeah. So, so that would be good because they have the free trade zones down there. That would be great. Yeah. Hey, uh, speak, speaking of wizards, uh, you mentioned KPS Kang. You know, he goes quiet for a while. And then all of a sudden he comes out with something on his uh, uh, Small Wonders uh, blog and I spotted one the other day he came out with a speech processor for BitX's and QRP rigs I've never played with this uh, but but it does look like it has real potential and a real simple antenna tuner and SWR bridge that, that you could also put on the BitX board I really like that so so check it out KPS Kang and he's got a lot of he, he's got he's, he's an amazing guy he's got all yeah. kinds of great philosophy and uh stuff there but so much good stuff coming out of india let, let me just put two seconds worth of input on speech processors not tell me i'm not i don't, don't want to talk about K, kps kang speech processor but speech processors in general i think they're a bad thing and let me tell you why most guys don't know how to adjust them right so the gain is wide open yeah. and and splatter is all over the place and all they say hey how good this sign if you don't know how to use it don't use it because yeah. you can you can do there's things you can do with speech compression there's things with speech which is a form of speech processing which puts more average talk power in, into the same amount of signal there's there's ways in which you can do it level you know they do level adjusting what have you but many people just say oh it's zero to ten <laughs> guess what it gets set up on ten and it's terrible and, you yeah. know, most of the times you'll hear the guy said, turn your speech processor. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's a lot better. So Yeah, you know, what made me think about it, because, you know, I've had my mind recently on double sideband. And this is an ironic thing, but even though double sideband is real simple, one of the things that when you're building with double sideband you have to watch out for is how the frequency of the audio energy that you're sending to the balanced modulator, right? Because... In an SSB rig, you've got that the filter set up so that if you're you're getting good power out and your your carrier oscillator is set at the right point, you know that your 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 the, the energy you're sending out is going to be in the passband of the, uh, the guy on the other end. On a DSB receiver, you have a DSB transmitter, you have no filter there, right? So if you're sending really, especially really low, you know, a lot of times you, you'll, your amplifiers are going to be accentuating the lows. So you're going to have a lot of audio at, you know, 150, 200, 250 hertz. And you're looking at your output meter and it's jumping up and down right at the five watt level. And you think, woohoo, I'm sending out five watts, right? But it's mostly down there at 150 Can't hertz. Hear it. 
And the guy at the other end says, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, right? So I'm not sure that whether the speech processor would, 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 would help or whether this design would, but it's just, it's a reminder that with double sideband, you do kind of got to, you have to watch out for. Well, his filter in the other end is knocking off anything below 300 hertz. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's good. There you go. All right, let's see. What else? Oh, um, I, I promised that we were going to do more of this, and I was going to do a reading from electric radio. I love electric radio. Um, just a couple things. I found this article. I'm, I've become more and more an envi- admirer of Frank Jones. I mentioned him a couple episodes back that he was connected with Lafayette. But Jones, at one point, when he was, he was a real wizard, and he, he, he loved to write. He was a good writer, but he found himself working for the Pacific Telephone and Telegraph Company, and he was told by the company that he couldn't publish as part of his employment relationship unless everything got cleared by the company, which became a real bureaucratic mess. So Frank, innovative guy that he was, went with a pseudonym <laughs> and a whole bunch of them. It says, Jones nevertheless was undeterred. He merely adopted several aliases or pseudonyms for his articles. One was Francis Churchill, Churchill being his middle name. He was attracted also to Alan Donaldson, Alan being his son's name. Frank Clement appeared frequently too. The Clement surname may have been appropriated from the name of a friend or relative. Jones used aliases in writing dozens upon dozens of articles for radio and other publications over several decades. The extent of his breathtaking writing pace may never be documented precisely because no one today is aware of all of the aliases that he used. <laughs> Maybe he forgot himself, you know. <laughs> wow, this guy's brilliant. Oh, that's me, wait. Um, indeed, Jones could only remember a few of them when he was asked to name them during a 1997 interview. <laughs> a couple other things. You know, and Jones, you know, you, you, there are all these names from radio's past, and you find out that Frank Jones knew these guys or had a connection with them. Here's one we, remember, we mentioned on Solder Smoke some time ago. For example, he created for McMurdo Silver a three-tube super hat named the Jones Silver Gainer and a ten-tube super hat communications receiver, which was marketed as the McMurdo Model D. Jones also assisted McBurdo Silver in the design of 25 to 500 watt transmitters. Let's see. Oh, here's another great name. It says here, um, it's regarding radio. Um, It says here, Jones relinquished in 1938 primary responsibility for preparing the handbooks. This is the radio, the amateur radio telephony handbooks. And he gave it to the editors of radio who continued collectively as authors of subsequent editions of the handbook until, wait for it, Bill Orr assumed editorship of the series in 1956. Oh, editors and engineers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was noteworthy that when I interviewed Bill Orr in 2000, I asked him who he regarded as the most significant amateur of the 20th century. He replied, Frank C. Jones. One final point here I'm going to read on this, and this is kind of controversial because we avoid this kind of controversy, but we've seen this before, and I think like recently, and I think we need to mention it. You, and you mentioned it, the super-regenerative receiver. 
Jones was a big proponent of the super regenerative receiver. The super regenerative receiver, he proclaimed, seemed to, cu- to cure all these faults. Jones also anticipated that the ARRL would soon share his enthusiasm. For he assumed that, quote, chances are that during the coming years a great deal of work will be done by the ARRL to develop the five-meter band. The ARRL, however, chose not to heed Jones's advice. A retrospective editorial in QST in 1940 declared that, quote, the five-meter band was dead as a doornail or thereabouts until 1931. Then it took, then it, then it took, took, then it took hold all of a sudden, and almost overnight there were stations by the hundreds in most of the big cities. History discloses also that Jones was not only at the forefront of the resurgence of activity in the band, but was perhaps the most prominent person in stimulating it. So, a lot of times this happens. I mean, they, 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 they miss things sometimes. Yeah, what they I missed re- a bit, they've missed the bit X. Yeah. What? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. What I remember about Jones, he had the famous push pull oscillator with the 6SN7 using a, it's a dual triode. Yeah. And this thing will put out 10 watts. And it's real simple to build. And, uh, I, you know, I always looked at that and I said, man, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, you, you can do some things with pretty simple gear, just like the direct conversion receiver. Uh, same thing on the transmit end. But uh, Jones uh, wrote several articles on the 6SN7 and how you could use that in a push-pull crystal oscillator. Yeah, good stuff. And there was this, this series of articles that came out, not long, well, 10 to 15 years ago about uh, Frank Jones coming back. He comes back to life. And they find and he, and he launches a campaign to retake the 5-meter band. Take, well, it back, take it back from baby monitors. Yeah. D- didn't, <laughs> didn't, wasn't the 5-meter band the only amateur band even though the hams were off the air but during world war ii you could have a five meter band radio I- what i was reading in this article was that one of the reasons it was popular was for a time it was the only band to which you were allowed to operate portable so that might have been what you're thinking about i'm not sure about during the war i think during the war they had a completely different band it was like you know over the carrying over the wires it was like it wasn't really even radio it was more like intercom stuff but uh, you could operate portable, and then because of the size of the antenna, it, was, it became extremely popular. I have a, a copy of his book, Five Meter Radio Telephony. And they, they have there a you go. Cover there. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. All right, Frank Jones. You know, that's, that a, our, that's a national radio dial on the front know, of that. Yeah, on I, a, I in front of that. Velvet Vernier. You sent me one, and I'm going to put it to use. I'm going I'm to put it to use, Pete. Thanks. All right, maybe now just talk a little bit. Uh, you got anything else? Because I think we're going to go to um, kind of. Um, oh wait, wait, a couple things. Yeah, maybe talk about what's activity on the air. You've been on the air at all? Oh yeah. What, what band? Uh, Twenty mostly. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You, is has it been good? Yeah, and, and actually, as a matter of fact, I made two QRP contacts last weekend in the Hawaii QSO party. So five watts, my my mini uh, transceiver and the beam and. The one guy said to me, he said, you got to be kidding me. He said, you can't be running five watts. I said, yeah, I am. So there you hey, go. Do you, do you have a BitX40 module? you have the module? Yes, I do. Okay. Have you have been playing around with it? No. Okay. I, I built it for that club presentation in January. Yeah. And, uh, you know, used it a few times. But uh, most of the time, I'll put my defects on the air. Uh, I put the defects. <laughs> 
Well, I, I've got a module board here that, that, that a friend sent me. I'm going to try to get it going. That might pa- be the next thing I said. Partially working, right? It's a partially, yeah. <laughs> partially working well, board. Yeah, but, but the, it'll be easy to get going. And I think at least on the receiver side, it might be good for, for John Henry. But I've got, to, this, I've got to say, I'll give that some thought. I've been on 17. I've been on 17 during the day on the weekends, and it's been surprisingly good. You know, we I, I a lot of us have given up on good old 17 meters, but I've getting on there. I've had some really great contacts. Um, I had a fine, really great contact the other day with W7YO. You you get into these real uh, kind of good technical QSOs with people, and I'm I'm so I heard something that really surprised the heck out of me. There's a guy on the East Coast here. His call sign is extremely well known in AM circles. He's a bit of a guru, and that's uh, Tim WA1HLR. I've been hearing Tim since the mid-70s. I heard him when I was a kid. I used That's to that guy to him. with the low-frequency coils? He's operating in the 1,000-meter band or something like no, that? No, no, no. Tim, Tim is an AM guy. He's a real expert oh. on modifying DX100s and Viking Valiants and stuff like that. Really very sharp technically. But a dedicated AMer, and I heard him on what he would refer to as single slop bucket. Oh. With the slop bucketeers. Oh. Ooh, I don't know, and I and I you know, and I mentioned it to somebody else. They said I heard him too. I was shocked, but that's okay, Tim. We're not gonna we're not gonna hold. So it so seventeen you. meters is has been open. It's not really open, but during the day, there's like a there's like a, a five hour period during the day where you could make contacts. You know, and I, I've made a few DX contacts too. Sometimes you'll hear the Europeans coming through here. I'm sure you could hear the Japanese from out there. I, but, I may need to dig that up because that's a candidate for an SI-5351. I've got a 17-meter transceiver that's got the v- crystal switch VXO to, to tune the whole band. i got a couple of switches and a switches banks of crystals in. I, I'm looking to replace that with a an OLED and a SI-5351. You know what I do? I'm not really too good at watching the propagation numbers, but I have on the left-hand column of the Solder Smoke blog, I've got, you know, propagation information and what i do is i look i look at the the sun the the solar flux index if it's around 80 i look at the a and k if they look okay and then i'll look down they'll give you their estimate of band Band, conditions yeah if it says that 20 is fair i'll usually find some activity on 17 you know but if so if they list 20 as fair either during the day or night or i'll i'll go and there'll be somebody on 17 if all the bands are listed as closed than they usually are, but there's been some days where it's been open, so that's 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 been real good. Hey, um, one thing I wanted to mention, I, I I was looking at my old website that I don't mess with anymore much anymore because we're all on blogs now. But uh, I had audio clips from my conversations during the 90s with the Mir Space Station, but they they were all in a, in a format that was now gone. But I found a converter, so I converted all of them. So I've got like 16 clips up there of me talking to Norm Thaggard up on Mir Station. Oh, wow. They're all, they're short. They're all like a, a minute or two, just like the the most important parts of the conversations. But they're kind of fun and they're easy to listen to. So um, if you want to, if you're inclined for a, a blast from the past with uh, our, our man up on Mir, there's a couple, there's one from the space station too, I think, a couple from the space station, um, from, from, I'm sorry, from the space shuttle. You'd uh, you might you might want to take a listen to that, Pete. That brings us. You got anything else? Because I'm the gong is going to bang. No. All right. Time for solder smoke mailbag, and this includes some. Um, uh, oh, we had one. Joel W4GON. I met him on the air, and uh, then I I checked out his uh, his website. And he's got pictures of thermotrons al fresco. Yes. 
I knew you'd like that. I like it. Grayson, yeah. I, I know Grayson could dig it. Yeah. Oh, man. But looking good there, uh, uh, Joel. Guys, check it out. I think I have it up on the Solder Smoke blog. Also, uh, somebody else I, I meet on the air all the time, Jerry, Alpha Echo 7 Kilo India. And he's got a very distinct Australian accent. He's living in Tennessee. His, his original call sign is VK2APG. I think he probably gets a lot of calls from guys who suddenly think that 40 meters is open till yeah, Australia yeah. at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> but Jerry's a, a great guy. And I got to, I, I talked to him fairly regularly. He built a Bidex from uh, from Hendrix kits. But then he took the thing and he worked worked all states with it. Wow. That's pretty good. No, he on, also on is... On sideband or CW? On, on sideband. Side 20, on 20 sideband, yeah. And then he... Um, He's now fooling around with this new mode, FT8, the new digital mode. It's like JT65, but faster, as I understand it. Guys are using it on six meters and other bands. So FT8 is the new thing. I don't think you and I are going to get into it, Pete, but... Not me. It's out there. It's out there. Um, here, this was fun. Paul, KL7 FLR, Alaskan Roadkill Microphones. You know, this is like we're all often on the same frequency, and he sent me a picture. He found this lamp when he was out walking the dog. He brought it home. He turned it into a mic stand. It's much like the the, the, the beautiful mic stand that I have for the iconic solder spoke mic, which, by the way, needs replacement. So use that Amazon thing because I'm going to use the money to buy a decent mic. You've been telling me. I want to tell you, I had an LED lamp that looks exactly like that, that the LED died. And I've kept yeah. the fixture. It may have a uh, an electric mic installed in there pretty soon. I'm working on it, that. It's it's fun. It's it's good and, and it's roadkill. And I got one over there too. Uh, uh, ZL2 CTM Charlie. Yeah. Down there, man. Great stuff. And he's got he's launched a, a a transceiver project. That the really intriguing thing, and this is something that that Steve N8NM was talking about, was that he's going to have portion of it is going to be SDR-ish. It's going to have a fast Fourier display. And I, I, I kind of told him it would be really cool. He has it like in the audio range, but if he was able to move it up in frequency and put it ahead of the crystal filter, you could get, you know, uh, a waterfall, and then you could sharpshoot everybody else's signals and tell them how wide they are. It'd be great fun. I see a little energy. I see a little <laughs> energy. <laughs> I see a little energy. Yeah, your nine KC's wide. I see a little energy. Yeah. I can tell your nine KC's wide because you're seventy over here, and your nine KC's. <laughs> By the way, Charlie uh, Charlie has come up with a kind of a unique uh, method of construction, which is kind of interesting. There there are um, copper clad boards uh, that uh, have some have pad per hole. This one has a, a whole line of pads that are all connected, bust together. So and so, like you, he'll cut off a chunk of board, and then the upper upper line and lower line, he just tacks solder to a PC board that becomes ground, and then he uses the individual lines to make connections, and he'll do things like uh, make the holes a little bit bigger so you break the uh, the copper you can put put in there, and it's really kind of interesting to see. He has a YouTube video on that, which is interesting to see, which is another. Another way of building things. I mean, guys are coming up with, you know, like the me pads. This is an alternative to the me pad. So um, it, quite quite interesting. And his transceiver project ha has this in has that uh, construction methodology in it. 
Well, he, that's, that's great. I want to take a look. He's been away for a couple of weeks, but I'm looking forward to the next episodes. Um, let's see what else we have here. Oh, um, um, uh, Steve Silverman, our, our, our old friend, has sent me. Uh, he always comes through. He sends me such great stuff. I mentioned my uh, my mic, and he sent me. Oh, you're the element. Look at that. There you go. But he sent me the element, and he told me when he when it was sending it, he told me that it was some sort of you know, kind of high dynamic replacement element. And I got it, and I opened it up. It's got the original. Uh, D104 crystal element. Steve very kindly sent that to me. So has he moved up to Maine? I, I think he is. I think he, he's up he there wasn't, now. He had two QTHs, one in Manhattan, and then one. Well, in when Maine. he got when he got out of Manhattan, that's when I got the uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the HP signal generator, which I thank him for. Also, well, he's, great to hear from. He's right near that low frequency station. <laughs> if he figures some way to tap into that, he can power his station. He can power his whole station. The, up. Courtesy of the Navy. There you go. The Navy. That's right. The the, the submarines and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned electric radio, but a, a, a call sign that we use all the time. I was surprised because we don't really associate him with kind of old or tube type radio. But G3UUR of crystal uh, testing fame, Dave Gordon Smith, has a number of articles in electric radio and all really good. And he provides some guidance on the use of ceramic filters, a lot of other good technical stuff from from Dave there. And um, speaking of... Um, uh, of crystal checkers. There's something I got to send out to you because a friend of ours over in Freiburg, Germany, oh, yeah, Joe, yeah, yeah. yeah, he came up with boards to build the W1FB crystal tester. And so this will get you back into, don't use Dishal. <laughs> no. Dishal dystopia. He doesn't want to do it. He's been traumatized. He's traumatized. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. I'll build this thing and I'll, uh, you know, I'd said we could, people could make a lot of money. Uh, you know, testing well, crystals. You know, I, someone sent me an email and said, you know why you're not having a, a good success with the dishel? I said, no. He said, um, there's a little factor in there called the uh, the capacitance of the crystal holder. And he said, most people just plug four picofi right in there. He said, if you change that, that'll materially change your constants, and that's what your problem is. So I said, how he said, "Put 3.3 instead of 4.0. That's 7.7 picofarad. How can how can that how can that <laughs> dramatically change the bandwidth of?" <laughs> Pete, Pete's got his he's got his fingertips together like the Italians do when they're <laughs> facing something incomprehensible. He's making another gesture now. Yeah, but I All mean right. that that could very well be. But if the software is so sensitive. Between 3.3 and 4 picofarad, there's something significantly wrong with the software. I mean, and it's not it's not made clear that you have to have this precise. So, I mean, here you are, got to measure. And, and with 7 picofarad, straight capacitance. I mean, just the yeah. way you build the thing will affect. You, the way you breathe on it yeah, or something like yeah. that, yeah. Hey, but I, I had better luck with the other software. But we'll, we'll get you back. With this tester, you'll be able to get beyond all this. I, I have a method uh, to do it, and it works fine. <laughs> Uh, hey, we got it. We got an email later late this week. I put it up on the blog from Michael VE1LEB, who made a really cool sort of semi-retro-looking oh. Star Trek kind oh. of enclosure, ergonomic Bidex container, 3D printed in Giuliano oh, blue. blue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bill, this is catching on. I, I got to tell and you, it's catching. I tell you, and you got to see this thing. It's on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. 
plus he provides the the uh, the file to do the 3D printing. And I, there was all kind of comments down below, guys saying, I'm running to the printer now, I'm printing it out. <laughs> By the way, that's, really. that's kind of interesting because ICOM has a radio that has a, a different looking enclosure than the box. And, it, and it's all about ergonomics, you know, with a sloping panel. His had a sloping panel, had the controls on the sides, which, yeah. which ergonomically makes a lot of sense. But I, when I looked at ICOM, I said, what are they doing? That's... It was not the traditional box that you think of. Well, it made me it made me think it made me think of the sort of the trail friendly radios that are designed to be operated from inside the sleeping bag, where all the controls are up on the top. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you could just have it there. So, but this is sort of like that. But take a look. I, our friend Go Colin ahead. needs to get that when he's building radios in the tent. <laughs> oh, when he's building them in the tent, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. He bring, well, he's not going to bring the 3D <laughs> printer with him. Do it beforehand, Colin, and then you go out there, and it'll be much better. Yeah, um, Roger, our, our friend. From Holland, who's now in Southern California, <clears throat> has been away for a while, but he's back because he got a BitX40 module. There you go. We, we, we get, get on the air with that, Roger. Hey, Good to hear from you again. from Farhand, you, you were saying when you visited, they were now talking about 1,000 units a month. Are, are they I, there? I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't heard any update, but uh, I, got, I got a text from them the other day on something unrelated, but I don't know what the numbers look like, but I think there's a lot of... A lot of, you know, one thing I find is if I'm on the air and I'm talking to somebody and I start talking about the BIDX, very often they'll say something like, well, you know, I'd like to do something like that. And I'll say, hey, there's a perfect way. And then I'll just give them the website, hfsigs.com. And a, a, a couple of weeks later, I'll get another email back from them and said, wow, this is fantastic. I haven't done anything like this. I got it. It's only 59 bucks. If I blow it up, I'll just buy another one. And so I think it's really making a making an impact. Great, great stuff. Uh, Steve N eight N M, making a mightier mighty might, mightier mighty might. And he he cited this, and I think you might have told him that, that this was a, a case of spontaneous construction. We've all been there. It happens. You know, I, it's it's a problem too because you get into the build design kind of parameters or or uh paradigm and it, it's but but it's but it happens it just happens the parts are there you get an idea the next thing you know 12 hours have passed and the thing doesn't work but but steve had better luck yeah and uh he, he, I, he's I, modified the king on that and, really? and he was telling me that uh the, the king is much better uh and he made some changes in the way in what you key like not he was king the irf 510 yeah. There were a few little few key clicks, and he's now made that run all the time. And he's keying a buffer station. He said, "Sure, clean things up nicely." Yeah, but you know, I, I told Steve he's got to be careful because he could, when he starts adding adding stuff to the mighty mighty, he could he could fall into the 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 problem of creeping QROism. Well, creep creeping I, I, QROism. I'm, I'm happy to design him a linear amplifier switching <laughs> circuit. <laughs> when he keys, he can put. It'll the, be the. Would be the tuna tin twenty or yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hundred. Uh, yeah, uh, Bob. He, Steve's got a lot of good projects going on there. He's working on a similar a project similar to Charlie's, which tries to bring some of the SDR appliancey software kind of stuff into uh, a radio of the type that we're more familiar with. Well, you get a you, know, you get a clue from Rick Campbell if you look at uh, when he was designing those rigs. He says it, it's really difficult. You know, you have a certain amount of uh, attenuation that you can use using uh, his direct 
well, in his in, in his methodology and using the phasing approach, he says it's usually good for about 40 dB. He said if you really want to get the best, and the, one of the first people to pioneer this was Kenwood, in the TS950 SDX that was like six seven thousand bucks 20 years ago, but they combined the filter with the SDR approach, the filter and the phasing. And he said, that's yeah. the Nate plus ultra. And that's, that's where Charlie's headed. And I think that's where Steve is headed so that you get the best of all worlds. That's it. All right. Good stuff. Um, Bob, we mentioned Bob N7 SUR, uh, driving us towards double sideband. He also, uh, sent me a message that cured me of, um, a, a bit of momentary insanity that I was suffering. I had mentioned that I was thinking about going to six meters. Uh, whenever you think about that, just take a nap or something, and then the, the, the urge will pass. But Bob sent me a message in which Allison was recounting the difficulties of putting a BIDX transceiver on six meters. And just reading it, that reading about the difficulties was enough to cure me of my interest in, in six meters. Um, you know, the other thing I was, one of the things I was thinking about with six was that it would be fun to do kind of meteor scatter and things like that. But then I was, I was talking to an old friend of mine who I ran into on 40. He was a big meteor guy. And he said that he found six to be less than good, less than a good place to do meteor experiments. The problem being is that there are so many different propagation modes available on six. There could be sporadic E. There could be a bit of tropo. So that if you're suddenly getting a signal from way over the horizon, you're not sure if it's being pinged by a meteor, right? Whereas if you do it up on two meters, it's fairly apparent that the only way you're going to be getting this signal or this ducting, ping. Ducting, Yeah, then nothing like that's going to be, that doesn't happen too much on two. It happens more often on six. So if I do any of this stuff, it'll be, I think, up in higher frequency well, range. Well, don't, don't pass that by too quickly i got a an email from farhan on a c completely unrelated subject and he said i'm working on <laughs> six and two meters yes <laughs> i know he told me that yes he said, so i said uh-oh <laughs> uh -oh. i told him i said i said i i tried to dissuade him i said look at your look at your test bench how much of your test gear will work up there? Yeah, well, not much. Yeah, yeah. But by the way, before we pass off too quickly, I'm I'm hopeful that maybe in a future podcast, uh, it was a little short notice to do this. But uh, Bob N7SUR sent me a and sent you to kind of a checklist, uh, which I think is good to go over periodically about troubleshooting. Yes, I saw that, and I meant to do it. Let's do that next time. Let's do it next time because Bob put a lot of time and effort and energy in this, and, and it's really worthwhile because something doesn't work. What's wrong? Especially if you, especially if it's a homebrew piece yeah, of gear. Yeah, what's wrong? Like I where had, the possibilities I, are even more endless. I had something yesterday where my bandpass filter was not working on the direct conversion receiver, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I looked down. And I had failed to adequately solder a connection. It wasn't soldered, so there was no signal. That will do it. That, no that's that's not a good thing. But I mean, yeah. it, until I went through my, I said, okay, let's check the solder connections, and I got there and said, oh, that's the reason. So there you go. But uh, let's, let's do that on the next one, because I think that might. You're going into winter. People are now, you know, going to be thinking about building stuff. So it might be a good thing to start off with that. So I. I but, I think it's an excellent list. I, I looked at it and I said, "Hey, we got to cover that." We will go through the list next time. Sorry for the delay, Bob, but it's, it's the timing is good because we'll be getting closer to, to winter by the time we do the next one. Hey, uh, I sent you something. This is another one based on a 
uh, a contact that I had. You know, sometimes when you're talking to a guy on the on the air and he tells you he's running the Kenwood, you know, ICOM, Yesu, whatever it is, you're kind of, I'm sure you're like me, your eyes kind of glaze over. I, I can't think, keep track. I don't know what they are. Yeah. I know, yeah. but it's important when you mention that you're running homebrew gear, sometimes the guy will come back and say, I used to do a bit of that. Ask him for details because that's what I did. And I found out that Dennis K0EOO was built some stuff back in 1974. I sent you the pictures. Remember this stuff? It looks like an SBE transceiver. It looks like a Heath kit. looks like got a little bit of Collins. I mean, superb construction, you know, design, the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really amazing. I've got the pictures of it up there on the blog. But 1974, homebrew single sideband. Well, the first thing that look, I looked at, I said, oh, that's an HW101. Yeah. I looked at the bottom. I said, that's the way H. No. <laughs> we, no, no. It was homebrew. Homebrew that, yeah. Yeah, and based on a on on a, an SSB IF board designed by a fellow out of Belgium, yeah, and I I found the article. It's in the uh, AWRL uh, SSB handbook. I I put my hands on that board just two days ago. Oh really? I got you one, built one. I got, yeah. Oh. I put my hands on that board two days ago. I had oh, my man. hands on that board. All right. What are you going to do with it? Well, I robbed some parts on it, and I've been thinking, man, maybe I ought to Put get it back together. together. Get it going. Yeah. Get it, yeah that, see, there you go. One thing leads to another. All right. We have a bit of, of history here, and this will be our last uh, contribution to the Solder Smoke Mailbag. And it comes to us from Martin, MM0LER. He thinks he has discovered one of the first uses in English of the word or the term the knack in uh, Jules Verne's book Mysterious Island from 1874 there is the use of the term the knack they're describing people who have developed the ability to actually make a fire by rubbing two sticks together which is not easy but the the people in the Jules Verne book um, then I guess I guess it's the translation into English, right? so, but they said uh, uh, they used the knack. There you go. So early early use, 1874. They were talking about the knack, Pete. I think the origins are in German, though. But but thank you for that, Martin. Pete, you have anything else mm -mm. for the group? Mm. I think we've covered everything on our list and more. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, fun. Have a good rest of the weekend. I I just want to make a note of one thing. February 17th is not too far away. <laughs> Time to start thinking about the antenna projects you're going to work on in the middle of February. And the next, that's right. And the next one will be Solder Smoke 200. Yeah, 200. Another landmark. We'll have to think of something special. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about fixed radios. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's it. Hey, Pete, it's been great. Thanks for getting up early. You bet. Absolutely. You take care. Have a great weekend. Hey, have a Seven. great Labor Day. You got three days off. Yeah. Three days off, but I'm here all by myself. It's you know, it's Playing kind of a drag. Yeah, you, you and the yeah, dog. I, I saw the dog walking back and forth. Yeah, the dog. Thank God for the dog. He's been keeping me company. Oh, cool. All right, take care. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Seven three from the left coast. Bye bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes, 
and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!